global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of having the light that you have shed upon your last day's people regarding the importance of this task you've set before us of training the last generation, the remnant, raising these children to be the final workers and the final possessors of the message of truth. As we look at this next session on balanced parenting, we pray that you would give us the right perspective that we would have the correct balance regarding all of the difficult challenges we face as parents. In Jesus' name, amen. In the last session, we talked about discipling our children. And I left one thing out, one very important thing out. We looked at family worship, teaching them the Bible, praying together continually. We looked at character development, all the different character traits. We looked at guarding their hearts from worldly influences in media and peers and so on. But one thing we didn't talk about is the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath together as a family. And I omitted that from the previous session intentionally because the chapter in Child Guidance, chapter 79, there is an entire chapter on this every word of which is so good and so true and says it so well that I couldn't bring myself to select quotes out of it to sum up the key main ideas because the whole chapter is just that good. So just read it. Chapter 79 of the book Child Guidance by Ellen G. White. What a wonderful chapter on how to enjoy and keep holy the Sabbath. Because if our children develop a love for the Sabbath, if they understand the holiness of the day and the joy of, and delight of the day and not doing their own pleasure, but in bonding with their family, in going to church, in spending time in nature, that is one of the keystone, hallmark, capstone spiritual experiences that will disciple them unto Jesus. What we're doing in this session is meant to be sort of sandwiched between what we did at the end of session two and what we're going to do in session four. In session four, we're looking at discipline, training our children's behavior. And at the end of session two, we looked at guarding their hearts, keeping the way from media and so on. And these two things, sometimes if we push them and talk only about them, we can develop an imbalance in our parenting. And so this session is called Weighed in the Balance because we are in the time of the judgment. And we must have that intensity of insisting on prompt and perfect obedience that we will talk about in session four. And we must be intense about sheltering our children from that worldly influence. But we don't want to be such intense people that we don't have balance in our lives and joy. And like this one, Barna found that successful parents are good listeners. Good listeners. So we're not only just instructing the Bible by teaching and speaking a lot and lecturing about behavior and this kind of thing, we also have the balance of listening 
This is just like our relationship with God, right? We have perfect openness with Him. Yes, He is our authority. We respect, we reverence God. And our children have that respect and obedience of their parents as well. But also there's that openness and that closeness and that tenderness and that friendship. We have to have that with our children. If we're good listeners, that'll help to foster that. If they come to us and they confess that they've done something wrong, this is not the time to unleash upon them the lecture of you shouldn't have done this and you're going to pay for this. No, 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 no. They've already come and confessed, right? So they are repentant in the fact that they, you know, when, when, when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive. And that's what we do at that moment. We have forgiveness and so much appreciation that they would actually come and share these things that are on their conscience and on their heart. And, and, and when we're so busy and we don't hear their hearts, we don't listen and we're not in tune with their emotions, with their spirit, we miss opportunities for literally life-changing moments to connect with our children in deep, deep ways. Which Barna found also that successful parents avoided being too soft, but also avoided being too intimidating. They found the balance. Here's some quotes on this. Uniform firmness and unimpassioned control are necessary to the, dis- to the discipline of every family. So, so unimpassioned, uniform firmness and unimpassioned control. Do you hear the balance there? How about this one? Let a- authority and affection be blended. Oh, that's a beautiful, succinct statement. Authority and affection are blended. So it's not either or. It's not sometimes I'm nice and loving and sensitive and affectionate. Not either or. Not sometimes this, sometimes that. I'm always authoritative and I'm always loving you. Fathers, combine affection with authority. Kindness and sympathy with firm restraint. In both parents, it, is some, it sometimes happens that of the mother and the father, one is too indulgent and the other too severe. That's not a good thing. Parents are to work together as a unit. There must be no division. But many parents work at cross-purposes, and thus the children are spoiled by mismanagement. Which brings us to another Barna finding. Successful parents meet their children's emotional and physical needs. This one is hugely important. I'll tell you something. If if our children's needs are met, we talked earlier about if they haven't eaten enough, or they haven't slept enough, or they've eaten too much, or irregular meals, sugar, all of this, that can have a big bearing upon their behavior. And when we talk in session four about children's behavior and discipline issues, if you don't get this part of this session first, then you're just beating your head against the wall over here. We've got to meet every physical and emotional need they have in order to set them up for the greatest chances of success in their character. So start with physical, okay? Physical needs, of course, regular and abundant sleep, exercise, being outdoors, meals, water, They can sometimes just be dehydrated and that messes with your head. Regular and abundant. Abundant means plenty of it. Regular means it's consistent according to a schedule. So the physical needs are being met. There's a bedtime. There's a meal time. And these times are fixed and firm. Let's read about this. Parents wonder that children are so much more difficult to control than they used to be when in most cases their own criminal, criminal mismanagement has made them so the quality of food they bring upon their tables and encourage their children to eat is constantly exciting their animal passions and weakening the moral and intellectual faculties. The importance of regularity in the time for eating and sleeping should not be overlooked. Since the work of building up the body takes place during the hours of rest, it is essential, especially in youth, 
that sleep should be regular and abundant. If all would eat at regular periods, not tasting anything between meals, they would be ready for their meals and would find a pleasure in eating that would repay them for their effort. Don't eat at all, ever, between meals. After the regular meal is eaten, the stomach should be allowed to rest for five hours. Not a particle of food should be introduced into the stomach until the next meal. Parents, inaction is the greatest curse that ever came upon youth. So if our kids are spending hours a day with screens and in desks and not having sufficient time outdoors and exercising the physical frame that God has given to them, it's the greatest curse that ever came upon youth. That's a strong statement. The health cannot be preserved unless some portion of each day is given to muscular exertion in the open air. I mentioned earlier that basically during the summer and fall and spring months, Levi and Silas pretty much live outside with their mom. And yes, there's housework to do inside too, but they get that stuff done really quick. Dad helps out sometimes with some of that. And they're outside with the maximum number of hours possible. We have our four-year-old Levi have his, he has personal time. Uh, We call it uh, rest time. And he ceased napping, and so we included a part in his day where he has some time, just him and Jesus, just just quiet time, rest time, and it's outside. And so he's just outside for 45 minutes, an hour, every afternoon, weather permitting. Just like it says here, small children should be left as free as lambs to run out of doors, to be free and happy, and should be allowed the most favorable opportunities to lay the foundation for sound constitutions. Of course, on their own, but with parents mostly. Equalize, equalize the taxation of the mental and physical powers. That means 50-50. That means if you, this is mainly for older kids. For younger kids, the mental and physical powers, I mean, it's mostly all physical. But as they get older, you want to have it 50-50 for the youth. You don't want to be screens and desks for all the day. You want 50-50. I get into that in more detail in Undoctrinated, the seminar on true education. So let's get into now some emotional needs that children have. There's a number of emotional needs, and these are very important. The first one, probably the most important one, is your presence, your time. Time. Just being there for and with your children the maximum amount of time you possibly can. We've talked about that already in session one. Adversity is another emotional need. And we talked about this a little bit with perseverance, but adversity means that a child needs challenges and needs things to overcome because that will develop a sense of self-reliance, fortitude, perseverance, etc. So you provide adversity in their life. Children who face no adversity have the same level of challenges as adults as people who face severe adversity, meaning abuse type of situations. So being totally spoiled and never having any challenges in life is just as bad for your development as facing really bad hardships in life. What brings about the best result of a well-adjusted, well-balanced adult is having moderate amounts of adversity. Let the child and the youth be taught that every mistake, every fault, every difficulty conquered becomes a stepping stone to better and higher things. It is through such experiences that all who have ever made life worth living have achieved success. Oh, I like that quote. It is obstacles that make men strong. It is not helps, but difficulties, conflicts, rebuffs that make men of moral sinew. Too much ease in avoiding responsibility have made weaklings and dwarfs of those who ought to be responsible men of moral power and strong spiritual muscle. Uh, another, another related um, emotional need is not just adversity, but the, the independence that they develop from adversity also takes place when they have legitimate choices. I believe that choice 
is an actual emotional need. In order for our children to become thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts, they're going to need to have opportunities to make choice. If everything is only dictated to them, and they never have to make choices or get to have choices in things that are legitimately something that you ought to be able to have some choice in the matter, then they will only learn to be automatons, right? Like Prussian schooling is trying to teach. Now, if we don't allow decision-making, this is the kind of home that you could run the risk of having. There are many families of children who appear to be well-trained while under the training discipline. But when the system which has held them to set rules is broken up, this isn't to say we shouldn't have rules. We're going to get the balance here. But these children seem to be incapable of thinking, acting, or deciding for themselves. These children have been so long under what kind of rule? Iron rule. Not allowed to think and act for themselves in those things in which it was highly proper that they should. That they have now no confidence in themselves to move out upon their own judgment, having an opinion of their own. And when they go out from their parents to act for themselves, they are easily led by others' judgment in the wrong direction. There are many who believe without a reason on which to base their faith, without sufficient evidence as to the truth of the matter. If an idea is presented that harmonizes with their own preconceived notions, they are all ready to accept it. They do not reason from cause to effect. Their faith has no genuine foundation. And in the time of trial, they will find that they have built upon the sand. So we need to let them learn to draw lessons and discern truth for themselves. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents loved to delve into matters of faith as a family unit. They opened the Bible together during certain set times, but also they used the scriptures as spiritual lessons during those teachable moments in the child's day. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men Another emotional need would be structure They need to have order and structure in their lives. It's not all free for all, choose whatever, do what thou wilt. No, 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 no. There needs to be structure, there needs to be a routine, there needs to be order and a schedule. And that's how children feel safe, feel secure, because they know what to expect. How do we avoid haphazard parenting? One of the best and most important ways to do that is to start out by, as far as possible, it is well to consider what is to be accomplished through the day. 
and then make a memorandum of the different duties that await your attention and set apart a certain time for the doing of each duty. This is just common sense, right? Make a to-do list, have a schedule. I have found it tremendously helpful to have a outline for the day where you just kind of have a standard way that your day goes and you have different slots there where you can get things done. And then you make your to-do list here and you say, we're going to insert that here and we're going to insert that here and then that's about all we're going to get done, right? Because you have expectations. We have meal times here. We want to make sure to have worship prioritized here because then the kids have structure and they know what to expect. But it's not so rigorous that they're, it's like a straitjacket and they don't know how to live outside of it either. So, but another emotional need is fun. Bring all the pleasure possible into your exercises as teacher and educator of your children. Your children love companionship. This is an emotional need of theirs as well, companionship. They can seldom enjoy themselves alone. They yearn for, here's some more emotional needs, sympathy and tenderness. That which they enjoy, they think will please mother also. And it is natural for them to go to her with their little joys and sorrows. The mother should not wound their sensitive hearts by treating with indifference matters that, though trifling to her, are of great importance to them. Her sympathy and approval are precious. Her approving glance, a word of encouragement or commendation will be like sunshine in their hearts often making the whole day happy. I love that quotation. Another emotional need is affirmation and commendation, to commend them, to affirm of them. God said to Jesus, his son, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we all need to hear that from our parents. And if you didn't hear that, by the way, enough as a kid, and you feel you were beaten down, and you have all these insecurities and low self-worth, which many of us do, we may, may not even be aware of it, Go to God and hear that from him so that he can pour into you his affirmation and then you can pour it into your children. Listen to this. Children need appreciation, sympathy, and encouragement. But care should be taken not to foster in them a love of praise. Oh, that's important. So we're not putting the children on display as prodigies of wit and wisdom and repeating their sayings and exaggerations in their hearing. No, we can commend our children in good conscience by not giving them a love of praise when we commend them for things they've done well. When we thank them, here's the quote, be kind and tenderhearted, showing Christian politeness, thanking and commending your children for the help they give you. One of the phrases I like to use with Levi is I like to say, Levi, Jesus really helped you do such and such. Or you really had Jesus in your heart there, didn't you, when you made that choice? And so you give the glory to God and you can say thank you for allowing the Lord to help you do that. And that way it doesn't become a prideful thing and a love of praise. Another emotional need is that they actually feel accomplishments, that they're not just being commended for things that we kind of make up. I mean, they know when they really haven't done much and we're just kind of like, sometimes grandparents do this, you know, or, or we as parents, we just praise our kids and we just got to lift them up and really they haven't done much but they'll get a sense that they've done something well when they've done something well so we have our kids doing actual work accomplishing real things we talked about the family firm earlier and so a sense of accomplishment you feel like you've done something well and that's an emotional need you know another emotional need that we sometimes neglect is physical touch the, 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 there's something physical that happens within our physiology, when we, when we hug, when we, when we smile, when we do these things of uh, 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 wrestling on the floor and, and babies, you know, skin to skin with their mother, these kinds of things actually release bonding hormones 
that are, that are wonderful displays of affection. And, and, and not just the physical touch, but just physical affection in general. Playing together, uh, all, all of the fun stuff that we can do. Having ridiculous amounts of fun. <laughs> and, and that really will help kids bond with their parents so that when we get to this other stuff, it'll be more meaningful. Now, I want to shift gears into another barn of finding on this because successful parents advance their children at a pace that's natural for the children. So we've met their emotional needs, but then we also are challenging them and growing them at a pace that's natural for each child and natural for children in general. And as I think about that, I think about my two and I notice how different they are. I think every parent who has had two has noticed how different the two are. And Levi, as a boy, usually boys, you know, girls sometimes talk a lot more and a lot sooner than boys. Well, Levi started talking like crazy, and he's just a big, big talker. He's very, very verbal. Uh, Hence the gospel presentations and all those stories, right? That's just part of how God wired him. Uh, Silas talked later and is talking later, talks less. He's smaller, and he's just a different kid. Each child develops at their own pace, and boys are different than girls, and they have different gifts, and so we want to not be so heavy-handed with that. One of the things Barna found is, yes, we're challenging our kids, of course. We're not just like hippie parents, letting them be free as a bird and feel as they want to feel and do as they want to do, but we are making sure that we're not over-intense. Like I've seen in some of my students, a lot of, a lot of pressure. Certain cultures do this more than other cultures as well. So just check your own, your own practices on that. The little ones should be educated in childlike simplicity. They should be trained to be content with the small, helpful duties and the pleasures and experiences natural to their years. Now, speaking of that, I absolutely have to bring in probably the most, single most important thing that my friend Joshua White has contributed in the classroom of the remnant. And in the classroom of the remnant, he shares the, 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 the studies and the findings that are consistent with the spirit of prophecy about the importance of delaying formal education until age eight or ten. This is one of the most neglected principles, and it's hugely important. We have a situation today where they push full-time kindergarten, get the kids in school earlier, get them reading earlier, get them uh, longer periods in desks at an earlier age. And I'm going, wait a minute, this, this development over the past 15 or 20 years, this is not in line with inspiration or research. For the spirit of prophecy tells us true education is not the forcing of instruction on an unready and unreceptive mind. We're developing our kids at a, at a pace that is natural to them. And so if they are unready, the mental powers must be awakened, the interests aroused. But not just that. Mothers, let the little ones play in the open air. Let them listen to the songs of the birds and learn the love of God as expressed in his beautiful works. That's how little ones should live. Teach them the simple lessons from the book of nature and the things about them. And then this is the part that I wanted to get to. As their minds expand... Lessons from books may be added and firmly fixed in the memory. So we just saw there's such a thing as an unready mind. And we just saw that there is a point where their minds expand and are ready for books. Now, when does the child's mind expand? When is it ready for books? At one point, it's unready. At one point, it's not expanded sufficiently. This is, this is really where it comes in. I'll tell you something. Just like Jesus' mind, the powers of Jesus' mind and body developed gradually, there were the laws of childhood. The laws of childhood are in place. And our children develop according to those laws of childhood. Yes, with some variations, as I mentioned earlier. But what about some absolutes? 
The little children whose limbs and muscles are not strong and whose brains are undeveloped have been kept confined indoors to their injury. So again, there's a time where little children are to be outdoors and to not be kept long, confined long indoors. Their, their minds are unready. Their minds are not sufficiently developed according to the laws of childhood. So here's some actual firm fixed year statements. During the first six or seven years of a child's life, special attention should be given to its physical training rather than the intellect. Too much importance cannot be placed on the early training of children. The lessons that the child learns during the first seven years of life have more to do with forming his character than all that it learns in future years. Now it's going to get really serious. Parents should be the only teachers of their children until they have reached eight or ten years of age. Now that's serious given what the latest research is. Two hemispheres in your brain, right? Left hemisphere, right hemisphere. All of this schoolwork type of stuff, left hemisphere. Right hemisphere, the artistic, the aesthetic, the spiritual. After the right hemisphere is developed, the left starts. So what happens when we urge the intellectual, if we're going, go to school at five, learn, learn to read at six, uh, make sure to have your academic lessons and your children in desks and you know checking in with the county on that and let's push earlier, earlier, earlier academics. You know what we're doing? spiritual development doesn't take place as it ought to. And Barna actually found that successful parents are sensitive to their children's stress level and burnout factor. So this is related. Let's go to another Barna research finding. College degrees, intellectual and economic advancement were considered secondary to character and service. So he's not the, 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 the successful parents who raised spiritually strong young adults. Their focus was not primarily on the academic on the intellectual, on the economic advancement and achievements of, of college degrees and, and, and all of that. These things aren't bad, of course. They're good and important. In Undoctrinated, I, I share a quote about how we must not let down the standard on the academics. And that is important. But you're actually going to have better academics starting later. I love this one. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. To live in the country would be very beneficial to children. An active, out-of-door life would develop health of both mind and body. They should have a garden to cultivate where they might find both amusement and useful employment. I've read in Spirit of Prophecy that it is ten times more difficult to raise children for the Lord in the city than in the country. And we didn't grow up in the country. We didn't naturally love it. It doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, when we first moved out into the country, we were stressing over how often we might be able to get back into town. And now we don't hardly ever want to go to town. Now, there's a whole book, by the way, called Country Living. If you don't have that, you need to get that and read through that. Ellen G. White, Country Living. And it, it will, you, you will not walk away from that book thinking there's any other place to raise children other than in the country. Let the mother find time to cultivate in herself and her children a love for the beautiful things of nature. We've had to do that. You have to cultivate a love for it. And next to the Bible, nature is to be our great lesson book. To the little child, not yet capable of learning from the printed page or of being introduced to the routine of the schoolroom, nature presents an unfailing source of instruction and delight. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing and joy of children. And I, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to make changes where we need to make changes, to prioritize and 
rebalance how it is that we do life with our kids and with our homes and with our work. Help us, Father, to hear your voice and to train our children to be the final message, to bear the final message of warning and hope to this dying world. Lord, I know that we need to be living in the country not just for the blessing of our children, but also for the difficult times that are coming upon us. And I pray that you'd inspire folks to read chapter 79 in Child Guidance about Sabbath keeping and also read the Country Living book so that we can seek your will in regard to where we live and how we live with our children. In Jesus' name, amen. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Do you experience fear and insecurity over the thought of being out of the loop? Is that controlling desire and need a healthy one? It's like, I have to know what's going on. If I don't get on Facebook today, I'm, I'm going to be out of the loop. Is that a necessary thing? Are your thoughts on God and the purpose that God has for you when you're on Facebook? And are you crafting sort of this image, this persona that you want to portray to the world that's different than you, that's not the real you? Maybe you're uncomfortable with the real you, like the gaming culture we talked about, so you create a social networking persona that's not real. You can feel better about yourself on Facebook than you do when you're in a real-life conversation or a real-life social setting. Think about these things. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.